from the Summer Skate Studios, Analytics and Eyeballs is brought to you by Top Golf. At every Top Golf, it's about fun, climate-controlled bays, increased safety measures with your choice of games, as well as our sports bar and restaurant. See your local Top Golf location or topgolf.com. Summer skates, shower shoes and koozies customized for yourself or your entire team. Caesars Entertainment Resorts and Casinos, from coast to coast and beyond, wherever you need to be, Caesars Entertainment Resorts and Casinos has a destination that suits your style. Jets Pizza, with six different styles of pizza, eight different types of crust, to go with all of our fresh toppings, you can let your pizza cravings run wild. Peterson Toyota, earning the trust of our loyal customers at 4455 South College Avenue in Fort Collins every day for over 50 years. Metro by T-Mobile, go to metrobytmobile.com to find your perfect plan all of which come with the power of T-Mobile's 5G network. M-Drive, our boost and burn is specifically designed to help get you active, get lean, and burn fat. Get yours at mdriveformen.com. Drury Inn and & Suites, find out why we say our home is your home. Visit druryhotels.com. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, award-winning barbecue for your next catered event, a concert at Allegiant Stadium, or at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard in Las Vegas. Analytics and eyeballs from the Summer Skate Studios is a part of the IcetimeHockeySW.com network. Here are your hosts, Scott Strandy and Jordan McAlpine. All right. Welcome in, hockey fans, NCAA hockey fans, as it may be. It's Monday night, which means it's time for analytics and eyeballs. Scott Strandy coming to you tonight live from uh, Centennial. Colorado, where it's a balmy 81 degrees and sunny and um, no wind today. It's been a perfect day in Denver, uh, Colorado area. My co-host is always Jordan McAlpine joining me from, uh, I think, Omaha, Nebraska tonight. Jordan, is that where you're at? Yep. Home sweet uh, home. <laughs> <laughs> home sweet home. Well, last week you got a chance to watch a little NHL playoff hockey, so let's start right there. T- tell us about that. Yeah, I... Uh... What a difference 48 hours makes from uh, game one to game two for the Wild. Uh, I know they're uh, interesting to see how tomorrow night goes. 2-2 series heading back to St. Paul. That I know a lot of uh, a lot of people probably expected it to go seven before the series even started. I was in that same boat. And uh, home ice is back with the Wild. Now it's a best of three series. And it'll, uh, it'll be interesting to see how that goes, especially with St. Louis being as beat up as they're on the back end right now. Um, if the Wild can just get that Fiala Gaudreau Boldy line going, that's uh, that's been a little the, the question mark, especially especially game four yesterday. Uh, the electric Kevin Fiala that Wild fans grew accustomed to seeing during the second half has uh, kind of went MIA since the postseason's gotten started here. So hopefully, uh, gets back on the right track there, and definitely. I, uh, I know Excel Energy Center will be rocking tomorrow night, and if it goes seven on a Saturday, that would be. I'm assuming no different. Yeah, I think you're 100% correct. NHL hockey is going crazy. AHL hockey out here is going crazy with uh, the uh, the Colorado Eagles eliminating the Henderson Silver Knights, and they now await a Wednesday night uh, battle here in Colorado against Ontario. Who has the reigning AHL MVP? 
So there's all kinds of stuff going on. Um, we're here to talk college hockey tonight. We've got a great guest joining us in about 10 minutes or so. We're going to have Chris Bay on from the uh, Magnus Mayheim. Chris, uh, really deep into uh, what happens uh, at Denver, as well as the uh, flight report from Air Force. So we'll have a chance to talk to him and get his uh, opinion on what's happened since the national tournament. Before we jump into that, though, the, the portal has... Uh, do we call it ended, Jordan, or what? When you can't join it anymore, right? <laughs> yeah, no. Once uh, once that May first deadline hits, you cannot join. But it is uh, it is far from over. I know, obviously, with uh, alone with the team I cover with Omaha, that I expect them to still be in the thick of it. That I know they've been in close contact with a couple goaltenders as of late, and uh, there's still a lot of summer left, but. Obviously, you'd expect the shoes to drop at some point along the line, and that goes for a lot of schools in the next couple months here. So uh, even though the entries might be done, the activity is not, is a, a good way to put it, with what's ahead for the portal. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, this is your first night with the new text line. We opened it up last night, so people are able to text us at 303 943 three seven seven two and uh join the conversation if you got a, something uh, you want to talk about denver pioneer hockey or you want to talk about anything uh, submit the text and we'll try to get to as many as i can get at uh from where i'm sitting here in colorado so we look forward to people interacting i think that'll be uh, a big boost especially for the live show but you're also uh, welcome to tweet them in for upcoming shows so join us participate and uh, hopefully we have some fun with it a um, couple of things I want to talk about, uh, Jordan, before uh, Chris comes on is um, there's been a lot of talk. I don't know if you've had a chance to see the, uh, and I'll give them a little plug, the College Hockey News website, but they have a listing now of seven independent schools. We know that not all seven are going to be there this year, but I thought it was interesting to see that they have Utica uh, on there as a uh, – <laughs> an NCAA Division One independent hockey school, and uh, they haven't even gotten approval from the NCAA. That won't happen until, like, February. Uh, so just your thoughts on uh, on the growth and, and what's happening in college hockey. Yeah, I know uh, two weeks ago that was yourself, I, and uh, Paul talked about the Utica situation a little bit, that it's, it's far from a done deal, but uh, – from the, the little bit I've heard and with, with full disclosure, haven't been too plugged in on that situation, obviously, but just kind of with doing some of the stuff I have with CHN and talking to other people around college hockey as a whole, that uh, it, it does sound like there is a little bit of traction being made. And I know uh, with, with the website situation there that you can't, uh, can't exactly put too much stock into it, but at the same time, at the end of the day, that they're still – from uh, all indications are pointing that there is some type of traction heading in the right direction with that. So we'll see if that ends up coming to fruition eventually. But if you look at the arena, you arena situation, you look at the economical or financial situation of that, there are uh, so many hurdles and hoops that still need to be crossed and gone through for that to become a reality that uh, don't count the chickens before the eggs hatch, I guess you could say on that one. Yeah, absolutely. Well, one of the things that's, that's kind of uh, drawn the interest of uh, I, both Paul and I is the fact that there's so much talk about all these teams coming on and possibilities of realignment, and everybody's talking about it, but they've, they've done that for 50 years, Jordan. Uh, yeah. 
you can't just talk. You got to move. And and finally, uh, Illinois looks like they moved. Unfortunately, the wrong direction, but um, at least they made a move. And that's what I think we need to have happen sooner rather than later. If uh, I'm worried about all these teams coming on, if they don't get into a conference that, you know, five six years down the road, they're going to be back in the same financial situation that they were the, that before the pandemic. Yeah, and that's even the same thing that I look at a Lindenwood or I mean, even you go back. Obviously, Arizona State's landed on its feet, but Arizona State's a much different situation, just surely based off the uh, enrollment size of the school, the name credibility that comes with that, the location, everything else. But you look at a LIU, you look at a Lindenwood, if Utica ends up coming to fruition, you you have to sit there and wonder from a long-term standpoint how stable or how much stability there's going to be in that situation. Obviously, as we've talked, college having a college hockey team as a school is not a, a cheap f- feat by any mean. That there, uh, the conference does bring surely from an economic standpoint, but also from a logistical standpoint. The uh, <laughs> if you're the the Long Islands of the world, you can't get by all the time playing the Alaskas, heading out west for everything, or even in Lindenwood's case, what they might run into here. There, uh, granted joining a conference is not an overnight thing that can happen on a on a turn of a dime or anything like that but at the same time with these schools to uh really have long-term success you wonder not everyone's uh the notre dame or in football out there that can get by as an independent and succeed with it so we'll see what happens yeah it's going to be interesting one more time that text line if you want to join us is 303 Nine four three three seven seven two. Join the conversation. Text us uh, questions. And uh, with, without further ado, let's bring on our special guest tonight. We got the uh, the man from behind Magnus Mayhem and the flight path at Air Force. We've got Chris Bay with us. Chris, you got Scott and Jordan tonight on analytics and eyeballs. First of all, how are you? Have you survived the national championship uh, party that lasted about a month here in Denver? You know, I, I think I have, um, I, you know, went really went right back to work. So I, I know it's been quite the tour for uh, the coaches and the players and um, good for them. They should take advantage of this. And I just wanted to say to Jordan, I, we've not met, but I've read um, much of your material and I think you do a bang up job. So keep up the great work. Thank you. I appreciate it. Wow, now he's not even going to get his head through the door if he tries to go out again. <laughs> well, I have a I have a soft spot. I have a soft spot for Omaha. I got to see a game at Baxter Arena not too long after it opened and my wife has a lot of family in the Omaha area, so I have a little bit of a soft spot for the Mavs. <laughs> yeah, well, I know. I'm teasing him because he does a great job, no doubt about it. They uh uh, I, I know out in your neck of the woods, the uh, the Omaha program hasn't exactly had the uh, best track record of success in a in recent years, but it's a uh, it's it's a good program to be around and cover on a daily basis, and definitely something I've been fortunate to be in a spot to do the last three years. Mm-hmm. Well, they've played a lot better since you've been around. <laughs> they, they had a long, long stretch where um, it was a pencil to win in for DU in that series, but Omaha's. They've made it a lot more competitive, and particularly 2020-21, um, um, you know, they, they made it tough on DU. They really kept them, kept them out of the tournament. So 
I, I guess I was all they needed, right? Exactly. <laughs> you, put them, you put them over the edge. <laughs> okay, before we get digging into DU here, uh, I want to tie in a Denver and an Omaha reference. I had a chance to visit with uh, Jason Megna uh, a couple of weeks ago, and then he just went on fire and destroyed uh, Henderson. And uh, we kind of had a chuckle up in, uh, in Loveland. He said, uh, yeah, you need to talk to me more often if I'm going to score like this. Well, uh, Friday night, I guess it was, because they didn't play Saturday, um, he took a puck to the face, and I happened to have my camera on it, and I got pictures I didn't really even want to see. Um, but uh, our prayers are with Jason, because I know he had a lot of facial work done. Um, I don't know the extent of everything. All I know is he was in a lot of pain and stress, and uh, not sure when he'll be back. I will uh, I will be up there Wednesday night, so we'll see if uh, how he's doing at that point. But an Omaha kid that uh, now making waves in in Colorado. Yeah, and I, and I will say, uh, speaking of the Magna family, uh, congratulations go out to his brother Jacob, who uh, quite the week for the Magna family, I guess you could say. On that would have been last Wednesday or Thursday, I want to say he was named to uh, the Team USA roster for this summer, and then today got a, a new two year extension with the San Jose Sharks. So. I guess uh, I guess the the emotions are in polar opposite extremes in the Magna family, but it's been a uh, busy busy week for those two brothers there. Okay, Chris, um, I want to ask you about first of all the guys that are leaving Denver. There's uh, really probably no surprises to you or me or Jordan, but uh, your thoughts on the guys that decided to move on from the Pioneers after the national championship? Uh, meaning turning pro. Or turning, heading, yeah, turning, turning pro, pro or, or just running out of time, <laughs> right? Running out of well, right? Yeah, running out of time. And I was uh, uh, in the uh, statistical blender um, after work today, kind of looking at some facts and figures. I saw analytics, so um, I there you go. Eyeball, I, I knew I could bring you for that, <laughs> right? Yeah, I well, I don't know if you would want me for that, but um, you know, I, I, I did okay in math, but not probably as well as Jordan. So, um, <laughs> no, we're <you> know, close. <laughs> I, I don't think probably not. I, I don't, um, I don't think it was any surprise that, uh, Bobby Brink turned pro. I mean, typically guys who are drafted highly, uh, three years is sort of the shelf life. Sometimes it's two, which is what it, what it was for Carter Savoy. And I think in Brink's case, I mean, he, he was so consistent. I mean, he, only had a, maybe a half dozen games out of almost 40 where he didn't score and had some, just, he was there every shift. Um, even when he didn't score, I thought he affected the game more this year because he was better defensively. I thought his skating was better. He's always knocked for that, but you know, boy, his edge work is great and how well he can protect the puck for the size that he is. I was really impressed with that. And to me, if there was any doubt about Savoy, that was removed in the NCAA tournament because he scored clutch goal upon clutch goal. And again, his his game really picked up defensively this year. Last year, uh, there was not a lot of defense to his game, and he worked hard on his skating. He told me his fitness was something he felt he needed to improve, and that really translated on the defensive side of the puck, and I think that was enough for Edmonton to say, okay, that this guy is ready for pro hockey. Um, so, and, uh, you know, 
are two who ran out of, I mean, there isn't a sixth year available as far as I know. So, you know, unfortunately, Cameron <laughs> Wright and Ryan Barrow won't be back. Um, and then the other two senior forwards, two centers, Cole Gutman and Brett Stapley, I would expect them to sign with uh, Tampa Bay and Montreal, respectively. I'm, I'm almost sure Stapley's going to sign. And, and I haven't done an in-depth dive on Tampa Bay's prospect pool in a while, but just the volume of guys they've traded these past two or three years, you would think they need young talent to replenish their system. And especially at center. Yes. Yes. And the other thing that's interesting is all six of those guys had career highs this year in points and the six of them combined for 105 goals and 245 points. Now Man, that just, just blows you away. Doesn't that? I mean, you think about it, they were the number one scoring team in the country, but still those numbers just kind of, this eye-opening, I guess, is the right word. Right. And last year's not a fair comparison because they only played 24 games. But when you go back to 2019-2020, um, where the, the plug got pulled after 36 games, which is only a couple fewer, um, the whole team in that year had 118 goals <laughs> and 328 points. But like the entire team over 36 games. So wow. these six, two lines basically of players, okay, it's two of their top three lines basically departing, had almost as many goals and points as the entire team did two seasons prior. Yeah, I mean, that that's uh, really astonishing. It, it just tells you how good they are. Um Okay, so we know who left. Um, all you have to do is look a little deeper and see who's coming in as freshmen, and uh, you realize that they've restocked the shelves pretty well um, from the freshman standpoint. But um, two guys coming in, uh, Chris, that I was a little bit surprised at in Tristan Bros and Casey Dornbach. Um, your thoughts on those two coming in? Last year they only took Cameron Wright, so this year mm -hmm. they've doubled that uh, portal um, influx, if you will. But what do you think about those two and how will they, uh, fit into the culture at Denver? Well, I don't know tons and tons about Tristan Braz. I mean, he, he played every night for a frozen four team that was stacked they had even more, um, draft picks than DU did. And he was a high draft pick, a second round pick by the Penguins, three picks before Sean Barron's, um, you know, it seems like he has a good nose for the net. Um, in, at, when he was in junior at Fargo, he was a point-of-game player. And he wore a letter, which DU likes players that wear letters in junior. A lot of their roster has done that. So I think those are positives. And um, Dornbach, I mean, captain at Harvard. So I think that tells you he's going to be able to hang academically the leadership component is going to be there. And Oh, by the way, he has 90 points in 98 games in his college career. And I believe he is a grad transfer because right? I, I, I don't think he's coming in with, he's only played three years, but Harvard didn't play last season. So I believe he will be a grad transfer, not positive, but um, so I, I think they're, I think they're good fits. I mean, the leadership part, the chemistry is always important. And I think the fact that these are leader types, or at least on teams they've been on previously, they are leader types. That bodes well. 
and they sort of have different skill sets as I understand it. Dornbach being more of a pass pass first guy, although he has had some double figure seasons with goals. And um, I think Tristan Braz, who has three years of eligibility left, is probably uh, more of the goal scorer of the two. Yeah, that's good stuff. Jordan, you got anything to add on that end of it? <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think you. To the name you touched on earlier was Cameron Wright. You look at what he brought to the Denver roster this season. Obviously, the hope on either one of those guys. Uh, I don't know if you'll get close to what, uh, especially up front with that second line that Wright brought to the table, but you'd have to hope for some type of production. But I'll uh, I'll spend this another way for you, Chris. Look no further. Uh, you build from the gold <laughs> from the net out. Magnus Corona coming back, which I, I would assume is, uh, I know for myself, but for a lot of people out there, comes as a surprise. How big of an impact is that for David Carl's team next year? Oh, I think it's huge because they're going to go into the year with great depth at the position between him and Matt Davis. And, um, you know, Magnus has had some detractors from time to time, and he, you know, basically, I think, shut them all up with his performance down the stretch this year. And um, he was highly motivated. And I, I wonder, I mean, I'm, you know, the sharks have not had a firsthand look at him other than probably scouting him. So I'm sure he'll go to their prospect camp in late summer. Um, And looking at their goaltending depth chart today, it's a little top heavy, but, of their top six, Alex Stalock is an unrestricted free agent. I can't imagine they'd bring him back. And they have two other younger goalies, including the one Kakanen that they got from the Wild, who are restricted. So if he were to sign, he would have quite an uphill battle to even play in the AHL. Um, so I, I would, yeah, I think it's fairly airtight that he'll be back, but. I thought that about Trevor Moore several years ago and <laughs> lo and behold, I thought Logan O'Connor was named captain and, and uh, you know, not a week later he did so well at the Avs camp that he, you know, was with the Eagles and shortly with the Avs and has played great over the past several years. So um, I've been wrong about this many times in the past is what I'm trying to say, but um you know, it, it's th- is, it's throwing darts at a dartboard for all of us most of the time, it feels like. <laughs> it sure is. And you know what? Here's the thing that works, I think, in Magnus's favor for a fourth year in college. He's only 21. He doesn't turn 22 until late August. So even at that age, he'll he'll be a, a tra- he'll be an attractive prospect. It's it's not like he'll be you know, 26 and, and well, yeah, he, we might get a few years out of him, you know, a pro team thinking that, but you know, he's, he's only 21. So yeah, if he has another year playing in the NCHC, which, you know, is a battle every game. um, Yeah. I I think that that's huge for them. And, and like I said, the, the depth in goal for them and, and maybe he doesn't have to play, all the games that he did this year. Maybe, you know, Davis, I would think Davis will work his way into a few more, but uh, so that's, and, and if you believe as many hockey coaches have said, the best teams are built from the back end out as 
much talent as DU is losing up front, <laughs> their top six defensemen are going to be back and their top three goaltenders are going to be back. So that's a real good starting point. And it's one that served Minnesota Duluth very well when they had a lot of forwards exit after one championship. They still had all those good defensemen. They still had Hunter Shepard, and they won again. So You draw a perfect comparison right there. I, I look at those Duluth teams, whether it's the Andersons of the world, Samberg, Louis Rail, who uh, seemed immortal in college hockey for a little bit there. But you, you look at Denver, obviously not just a strong defensive core coming back, but a talented one on top of it. One of those situations where obviously – you need your guys up front putting the puck in the net. You need your star forwards talent showing up front. But at the same time, you almost wonder if, whether it's the Sean Barons, obviously you see Benning have the scoring touch to his game this year. Tuo Misto can shoot it. You can almost make up for a little bit of what you're losing in some retrospects with what they have coming back to counteract that on the back end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they when they've been at their best – I think they've had very offensively talented defensemen. I mean, going back into the early 2000s and, and then up through the Frozen Four teams and the 2017 team, they've always had a couple of defensemen that were so good at rushing the puck and could control play and could pile up the points. So I, I think that that is a real asset for them. And, you know, you're losing six of your top nine forwards you're going to, even with these two incoming transfers, they're going to have to play a lot of young guys and they're going to have to hope that some of these freshmen from last year are even better next year to make up for it. Chris, one other close. Yeah. One of the mention um, of a guy coming back uh, and it was kind of a surprise, but not really Kyle Mayhew taking advantage of that fifth year and, and coming back and man, what a stabilizing force he is on the, on the defensive end. Mm -hmm. He absolutely is. And it's, it's funny because his first year here, he, the only way he could get into the lineup was playing forward. They had a a fair amount of injuries and he's just progressively gotten better and continued to take on more responsibility. And he was really excited about the opportunities he had this year, because this was, the first year he consistently was an every situation defenseman and he's such an elite skater that for being five, seven, five, eight and 155 pounds or whatever he is, he doesn't take a lot of direct hits because he's so agile and so quick. Um, and he, he has great makeup speed too. He's got the agility and the speed, which, you know, as you know, from watching skaters, it's, Sometimes you have one, sometimes you have the other, but he's got the package where he's got both and he's working on his master's. He's in five years, he's going to have bachelor's and master's in finance, which um, I'm told is not an easy track at DU. So uh, he really wanted to, he really wanted to do that. And, you know, they wanted him back and what a, you know, what an advantage now to carry into next year after having such a young defense you're going to have him as a fifth year guy you're going to have justin lee as a fourth year player to a miss misto and benning third year players um you know a veteran defense i mean it just it reminds me of of what duluth had and what they it seems like they always have a veteran defense but um i i think it bodes well and 
I, I don't want to, you know, rain on any parades, but when I think about guys who are flight risks, and when I look at all the players that the Panthers had to deal away, if Benning went to their summer camp and just absolutely tore it up, he would be the other guy on this roster that I kind of think, ah, there's a chance he could sign. <laughs> So I, I don't know. What do you guys, what do you guys think about that? And I mean, it's probably not right to throw those types of rumors out there, but just in <laughs> looking, at what the, <laughs> and looking at what the Panthers have traded and particularly at the deadline this year and trying to go all in, um, you know, I mean, almost 40 points on defense as a sophomore, you know, again, in the NCHC primarily, I, that would be awfully appealing to me if I'm an NHL GM. The two-year sample size is also the big thing for me that he's he's got the track record in the like you just touched on it yourself, Chris, with it doing the NCHC on top of it. But it's uh it wasn't exactly a fluke year by any means with it, and he's proven, especially this year with the offensive side of his game, that uh I, I think you might be onto something there with a strong camp and a uh, impress a few scouts and coaches along the way, and he might be in a good situation. Mm-hmm. Chris, yeah. what do you know about the incoming freshmen uh, that will be coming in? Well, before we get to that, there's a couple of guys that, that left the program, uh, and it, it appears uh, like a Reed Irwin and a Jack Works uh, are the two that come to mind, but the fact that uh, Jack Works went to Michigan Tech and Reed Irwin is still looking for a spot, as far as I know, um, mm-hmm. just just a numbers game for them. I, I'm yeah, I was a little surprised with Works and Scott. You reported this during the tournament at some point about how much David Carl liked him in practice, and um, I know he was a well liked teammate. Several guys told me how funny he was and just really had a good pulse, I guess, of the room. So I was a little surprised by that. I think in Irwin's case, um, you know, Barons and Tuomisto were hurt toward the end of the year. He had a chance to really seize a spot and apparently didn't. And I don't know how close to 100% those guys were at the start of the NCAA tournament, but they were great by the end of it. But I, I just wonder if he looked and, yeah, I'm sure he probably knew that Mayhew was planning to come back and, you know, maybe he just thought I've got three years of eligibility sitting out there because of the COVID year. And that's long enough to go someplace else and reestablish myself as a top six D. Um, I don't know any more than that, but I think it probably was a numbers game and they have two pretty solid defensive players or defensemen coming in next season. So yeah, and that that's a thing I think is uh, <clears throat> it, it became a numbers game for Reed. I thought he played pretty solid when he came in uh, for the injured guys and and really did a good job. But uh, I think he'll make uh, if somebody picks him up, and I would be shocked if they don't eventually. Here, uh, he's gonna he's gonna really help somebody. I I was kind of pushing towards Arizona State because I thought he could be a big help there, but. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, for as far as the incoming freshmen, what what do you know about them? A lot of them are going to get drafted in June. Um, yeah. At least if you believe the uh, the central service exactly. reports. 
Um, Are you talking about last year's freshman class or this year's? <laughs> no, yeah, well, well but this year's one. one of, no, I know, I know. Yeah, I mean that. That's the thing is, you know, one of their freshmen this year, Jack Devine, was only seventeen at the start of the season. So he actually probably will. Well, he will get drafted this year. I mean, how high? I guess remains to be seen. But um, you know, they've got, I think, by my account, six others. Um, most of whom are coming in, not all of them, uh, who are, you know, quite likely to get picked. Um, a couple defensemen, uh, Garrett Brown is a 2004. He's playing for Green Bay in the USHL. His dad, Curtis Brown, played in the NHL for a number of years. Um, you know, he he is a big 6'2 blue liner, um, you know, gets a point about every other game on average and, you know, solid player. And, uh, um, oh, I'm sorry. He's not, yeah, he's at Sioux city. And then Kent Anderson is, um, six, two, 200 pounds. Um, you know, solid, solid player for green Bay in the USHL. Um, also played in the AJHL. So he's from Calgary. So those are two to look for to be in the mix. Um, again, top six D back, but those are two guys with pedigree coming in. Um, they have at least, uh, three wingers that I know of. Um, again, another from California, Sammy Harris, um, also playing in the USHL. He's a late three and, um, hasn't scored a ton in junior, but he played at Shattuck St. Mary's and, and was a point of game player there. Um, and then uh, Rieger Lawrence, who I think is kind of borderline first round prospect um, and playing in the AJHL and uh, was big, big, big scorer. I mean, like point and a half a game um, and massive, massive, like Carter Savoy like numbers as a youth hockey player. And, you know, 6'2", almost 200 pound winger. Um, his dad played college hockey. And uh, then a, a Finnish winger, um, Miko Matika, and uh, was on the World Junior Championship team for them. And uh, again, he's a tall, rangy winger, 6'3", about 190, but goal scoring touch. Um, so, you know, it, it will be interesting to see. They, they have another goalie in the pipeline from Saskatchewan, Paxton Giesel. Uh, he is playing in uh, Dubuque of the USHL, but is not projected to come here till uh, 2023. So that yeah, is what he, I know so he, far about Pat, them. I, I was going to say, Giesel's got a good uh, good tracker record about him coming into it too. I know there was a lot of optimism with the assumption that Chrono was going to leave, that uh, he and Davis were going to push each other for playing time at DU next year. So I'll be, uh, I'll be interested to see how that affects his kind of progression or development along the years, but obviously the goaltending position is the one that another year in juniors isn't the worst thing in the face of the earth that could happen from a development standpoint. Right. And he's, he's 18. So he's correct. He's young. He, he could, yeah, he could, he could in theory be there two more years. I doubt he will be, but you know, I don't think it will hurt him. And it, it, you know, Jordan, I mean, the USHL is an incredible league and yep. so well, and especially if he's going to hypothetically, even if Magnus wouldn't have came back and he's uh, fighting for time, so to speak, 
especially at 18 years old at that age, in some retrospects, you'd almost rather have him be the guy getting the reps, getting the minutes in the pipe in between the pipes. So uh, I don't think mm-hmm. that's going to hurt the kid in the long run by any stretch of the imagination. No. no. Okay. So uh, final one for you, Chris, and I'll let you go on this one. Cause I know the abs are up one, nothing and you got a game to watch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> anyway, of course. anyway, <laughs> anyway. Uh, and by the way, that goal that Burakoski just scored went through the net. Uh, I don't know if you guys had had it on at the same time, but it, it went f- underneath the crossbar and came out the backside. They didn't rule it a goal originally and uh, looked at it. It's the first time I've seen a puck come right through the back of the net, uh, unrestricted, basically, up by where the uh, water bottle sits. Anyway, um, hmm. I digress. But uh, as we as we look at the schedule, one of the things I'm most interested in um, this season already, uh, Chris, is the fact that the icebreaker – and you've got to be thrilled about it because you've got Air Force and Denver participating in the icebreaker to start the season off, I think, second week of October. So your thoughts on that and the fact that it's being played right here in Denver? Yeah, and, well, it's interesting because they've actually split it between the sites. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know the specific matchups off the top of my head, and, and they may not have been announced yet, but so you'll have a game at Denver and a game at Air Force. Um, I would guess at the same time, which kind of makes sense. You know, a team could stay in the region and travel fairly easily from one site to the other and um, sort of maximizes the fan base. And then who knows how it sorts out on Saturday, but they'll have two games, I would assume, Saturday night. So I think that'll be that'll be great. And Scott, you've got to be thrilled that uh, ASU is – Again on the docket. <laughs> yeah. ASU, and of course, you know, we added the Alaskas and Lindenwood this year, this coming mm-hmm. season. So they're going to be making trips here as well. Uh, we've kind of been plugging coaches, Chris, as we go on our show to, to, to get them to leak out their, uh, their at least games in our coverage area. So I'll see Alaska Anchorage. I'll see Fairbanks. Uh, of course, I'll see a ton of DU and I'll see Air Force and Colorado College and uh, Arizona State. So it's going to be a fun year coming up. I can hardly wait. It seems like it's uh, a long ways away, but I know it'll be here sooner rather than later. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the other thing I was going to ask you before I let you go is um, the success here in Colorado. And uh, I'm going to start it by, by obviously the national championships at Denver. But when you look at, um, or when I looked at the teams this year, I could see a real difference between um teams that were cohesive and talented and teams that were just talented. And my lead into that is that uh, when you look at the portal, every team is getting quality players, but the teams mm-hmm. that seem to have the most success are the ones that are able to bring them all together. And I'm wondering your thoughts on the portal, if that becomes a more difficult task for a head coach. I would think it absolutely does because now he's not just head coach and overseeing recruiting. And, and I know that coach Carl delegates a lot of that to Dallas and Tavis, but you know, now he's got to be the GM. I mean, that's what this reminds me of is, is he's added another job title. Like he's the, you know, the general manager or the president of hockey operations or something like that, because he's, he's got to project, you know, like we talked about who are the guys that are, possible flight risks to pro hockey, which at a program like DU every year, there'll be a few at least. And then 
who are the flight risks because they're not happy with their playing time or, and I won't tell you who told me this, but someone in the know, when I've asked him questions about players who have transferred out in recent years or just left unexpectedly, almost every time it's been because their advisor has, has been in their ear and said, Oh no, if you want to play pro, you need to be here, not on the third line here, or, you know, you need more opportunities on. So there, there is, I don't, I, I just, I feel like it's, it's like an NHL GM. Now you're, you're having to deal with that side of it. And even if the player is on board or seemingly on board, um, you know, they're probably being advised. And I mean, I, and again, I don't know specifics, so I won't name names, but thinking of some players who have left and just wondered, you know, when I look at their statistics a year, two, three down the road, like, did this really make a lot of sense? You know, and, and our hindsight's 2020 because DU won a national championship. They were a scoring machine and they got a lot of national exposure, but um, I think it unquestionably, and, and I would love to know what Jordan thinks about this because Omaha has had that door swing in both directions. And it, it seems like quite a bit this off season. I mean, I'm sure you've been up to your eyeballs and <laughs> stories about player movement. I mean, what do you think about that? Yeah, I, I think I've been uh, well over my eyeballs the most of it. No, it's, <laughs> it, it's interesting though, because, and, and especially this off season has been real eye opening from that you a lot of times on the outside looking in fans don't grasp this concept with it but it's such a give and a take and what I mean by that is there's there's so many other factors behind the scenes but you don't really realize it's both coach driven and player driven a lot of the time I I look at Mm -hmm. obviously the story of Omaha's offseason so far has been the guys that have left a I, we've talked on this show before right after the news broke with it, but I look at a guy like a Chase Primo to use as an example. He's getting up there in age for a college hockey player, four years kind of proven and done what uh, what shown what he is at UNO. The grass might be greener on the other side. I look at Austin Roden between the pipes. From a long-term perspective, the move out of the NCHC makes sense and also to get more playing time from that, that to – and obviously the pro side of that too, with Seville leaving, Scanlon leaving, Ward leaving, all signing pro deals with it. To fans, it's right away, oh, everyone's jumping ship. Oh, everyone wants out of the program. They're getting forced out. They're wanting to walk away. That there's a if this offseason's kind of taught me taught me anything with it, no two situations are the same, obviously. But number two, just kinda underneath the surface how many different factors that go into it you talked about advisors earlier they uh obviously play in the role of agents in college sports and it goes beyond hockey that Mm -hmm. the the advisor role in it 18 19 20 year old kids these days are uh having so many different people whispering from so many different directions into their ears with this is going to serve you best in the long run. No, this is going to serve you best. You stay here and you're going to move your way up to a top six forward or you stay here and you're going to be buried on the depth chart. There's mm-hmm. just so many different factors that go into it that uh, 
yes, it's been a blessing at times with the transfer portal, but at the same time, you uh, you use the term general manager to describe David Carl. I think that's what every college hockey head coach has had to become essentially the last couple of years because not only are you recruiting out of the portal, you're almost having to re-recruit your kids to stay on your roster, but at the same time, mm-hmm. they're hearing so much from the outside that uh, both both for better and for worse, just depending on the situation with kids, but there's just so many doors open for – like I said, 18 through 22 year old kids to explore in college sports now. Yeah. Boy, great points, Jordan, because that's, that is so true. And every case is different. And, and there are times I think when the player and, and, or the coach just realize this isn't a good fit for me. I mean, none of us, none of us hit it out of the park every night. So well, and I and I won't use names, but if you look at the uh, <laughs> the the exodus of the Omaha roster so far, that uh, one of those that came later on, there was a uh, a clear sense of that. You look at next year's what next year's roster is going to look like. That uh, the writing is on the wall is the best way to put it. That it's the the cliche mutual agree to part, but that uh, that happens more than you'd expect with. A lot of, like I said, that also goes beyond college hockey to college sports as a whole. A lot of kids uh, pursuing new opportunities. That the the feeling is mutual on both sides of that. Mm-hmm. Chris, if you can and, hang in for just one more yeah. minute. Um, I'm yeah. Kind, oh yeah. Uh, Paul Paul's joining us for final thoughts, and I want to ask all all three of you this question. Came from one of our texters. Uh, the text line is alive and well. And uh, this texter, uh, I'm going to give his last four digits, or 0062. He says, uh, you know, he's listened to the show and, and hears us talking about the portal and the number of players that are leaving. And he wants to know what the thoughts are of, uh, are there kids being forced into the portal by coaches slash programs? Because he believes that much of the time that it's not the kid's choice, but uh, they're getting left at the curb. And that that could very well be because of the extra year and, uh, of COVID and all those different things. But um, first things first, Chris, your thoughts on that question. You think there's a lot of kids that are actually being pushed into the portal or are they leaving on their own? Oh, very good question. I think it's a mixture. I, I think there are cases where that happens for sure, whether it's, you know, personality clash, whether it's expectations don't align. Um, I, I, for all the time and effort coaches put into recruiting, there, there, it, it probably, I know it happens. I know it happens. Um, but I, I don't think it's a, that's a majority of the time, but it does happen. And some programs, frankly, over recruit. If they have better players coming in, there's no question in my mind. They tell them, yeah, see ya. Or it's just not a good fit. Yeah, totally but, agree. Jordan, your thoughts on that? Chris hit the nail on the head, uh, 110% no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Yes, that is happening. Uh, I don't know if I'd go as far to say it's the majority with it, but you use the term over-recruiting there, and that's especially the case that you bring in a big freshman class and a year or two down the road, you've got these kids still fighting for the the bottom six roles or the bottom pair defensive roles, whatever the case but the bigger thing for me is the fifth year with the COVID eligibility. 
the uh, the scholarship caps are still in place, which a lot of people don't understand that from a head coach's standpoint, you're playing a big game of uh, <laughs> Tetris to fill out your roster with so many different moving parts to make sure everything fits in place that what was once a highly touted recruit that's kind of failed to make it the first couple years became becomes indispensable at that point that uh, you can cut ties and move on and I don't know if it's coaches exactly coming to the kid's stall and saying you need to get out, but at the same time, there there are, and I can guarantee you, conversations along the way that, uh, hey, it might be in your best option to look elsewhere and see what's out there for you, because if you stay here, you're, uh, you're going to be in the same spot that you've been in, which more often than not happens. Jordan, you led me right into Paul Hornstein, the ASU alum, because I don't think last year uh, – any other team moved more players in and out than Arizona state. So Paul, your two uh, cents on this. Well, I, I don't think there's any question that it is a complete mixed bag. Um, are there players deciding to leave? Yes. Uh, are there players deciding to leave because somebody gave them bad advice? Yes. Somebody leaving to get more playing time, say it at, at a different place because they think the grass is greener? Yes. Uh, are uh, coaches telling kids, however you want to call it, uh, might be in your best interest to go elsewhere? Yes. Are there some of these cases where somebody is, where the coach is flat out telling them, leave because you're not going to play, or your scholarship is not being renewed? Yes. So I don't think there's a scenario that you can think of that doesn't exist, especially with 250 names in the portal. Yep. When you throw COVID on top of that, and, and I, we, we've said it a bunch that it'll probably be another year or two before the portal kind of settles itself in because of, you know, getting through the COVID situation and letting that lapse. But um, to answer the texter's question, uh, I, yeah, I can tell you – I you'd be foolish to think that it's not happening. One other caveat I'll throw in there real quick, if you don't mind that I, I do also know for a fact has happened in a few situations is uh, whether it's culture or character issues behind the scenes that uh, a little bit of a cleaning of house, I guess I should say that in those situations where guys are essentially forced out and like Paul just touched on told that their scholarships aren't being renewed that, uh, there, that is one of, like like you said yourself, a mixed bags of possibility of what happens along the way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, does, I mean, like I said, 250 names in the portal. You're telling me that they all fit nice and neatly in one category? That's just crazy. Yeah, and I, I think exactly that, guys. I think uh, uh, the, just, just the sheer numbers that have eligibility issues uh, or availability, if you will, is is probably why it's become what it has. And some coaches have to make those tough decisions. I think Greg Powers, who's going to be on tomorrow night, uh, probably had the toughest job of anybody in college hockey last year because he had uh, basically an overhaul in the middle of the season. And um, So anyway, all good stuff. Chris, thanks so much for joining us. I, I always appreciate your insight because it's so good. So I hope you don't quit uh, taking my text because I always like to – to ask you whenever I can. And I know you got real things to do too. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, this is a, this is a, a great escape from reality. And uh, I, I always <laughs> am honored to be on here and 
Paul, I'm glad you I'm glad you tagged in. I was a little bit worried you weren't going to be here. Um, well, it's kind of what we do on Mondays is I kind of come in on that last 15, 20 minutes um, and just kind of offer a counterpoint to certain things. Uh, usually it's because uh, I'm the guy that doesn't, quote, believe in the numbers. Although uh, I was actually going to take the side of the numbers this week. Uh, basically because it involves my own my, my alma mater but um, <laughs> with the with the uh, women's lacrosse NCAA tournament um, where somebody we're still waiting for a legitimate reason why ASU was left out of the tournament uh, when they had a better record against uh, teams that got into the tournament and a better record than and quality wins and so forth politics. and so on and lacrosse politics coming into the show <laughs> and 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 I was going to say um, a lot of people complain about the pairwise but maybe they shouldn't because <laughs> that's a whole other topic don't get us started well we only got just, a one hour show we only got I a one hour show that, but it's just that it's what happened and, I know. Uh, and, you know, Denver's a big it. lacrosse school, too. Yeah, absolutely it is. Uh, so, I'm just yeah, saying. Yeah, I know where that, you're going. I know where you're going. It's just we need more time for it. So uh, I know, I know, I, I know. I, I, I appreciate you bringing it up. Chris, thanks again for joining us. We appreciate it. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be back to get Paul's final thought, I think, <laughs> in about three minutes. <laughs> All right. More than 140 live games from the nation's best college hockey conference. Ready for you, wherever you are, however you want to watch. Your favorite team is on nchc.tv. On your phone, tablet, or stream to your TV. Subscribe now to watch the best in college hockey at nchc.tv. If it's nchc hockey, it's on nchc.tv. Really, JR, you think you can still do this? I'm focused. You're way too old to hit that target from there. I've been listening to everything you said. It's been running through my head, locked and loaded. All right, still got it. Still got it. Who's old now? any hockey player in the desert southwest and they'll all tell you the same thing we love going to the rink and sandals now you can show off your game in style with summer skates officially licensed summer skates are comfortable washable and can be designed to show off your fandom phil kessel your guy big william carlson fan or is austin matthews the man have your summer skates designed to show off your favorite nhl player or shout out your own game with your own number Team discounts and customization available, too, for groups of 12 or more. Thirsty after getting off the ice, our new koozies are perfect for keeping that cold one cold in the desert heat. Comfortable and durable, show up to the rink in style. An authorized retailer of summer skates, you can purchase yours through our website at icetimehockeysw.com.
can't wait to get to Las Vegas and check out the fortress. Going to see the Golden Knights? No. Stopping at Jesse Ray's barbecue for lunch. Oh, that fortress. That combination of brisket, hot links, fries, mac and cheese, surrounded by a fence of ribs? I'm in. Exactly. Jesse Ray's Barbecue, located at 5611 South Valley View Boulevard, right behind the Mandalay Bay Hotel. Check out their pulled pork, smoked chicken, or the fall off the bone baby back ribs. Jesse Ray's Barbecue has been voted the best barbecue in Las Vegas two years running. So whether it's a midday meal or a pregame feast, head to Jesse Ray's Barbecue for all their award-winning tastes. Question, comment, let us hear from you on our text message line at 303-943-3772. From the Summer Skate Studios, this is Analytics and Eyeballs. All right, welcome back in, hockey fans. Indeed it is, Analytics and Eyeballs. This is our Monday night staple now where we talk numbers and eyeballs, if you will. Uh, our uh, thanks to uh, Chris Bay for joining us, from Magnus Mayhem for uh, giving us insight on the National Championship Denver Pioneers. And we didn't even get a chance to talk to Chris about uh, things at Air Force, but that's another day, another show. Um, Scott Strandy with you in Denver, Colorado tonight. Jordan McAlpine joining me from Omaha, Nebraska. And it's always time for the final thoughts from Paul Hornstein out on Long Island, New York. Paul, um, what's the final thoughts besides women's lacrosse? Well, I mean, you guys were talking about uh, Denver and Omaha before, and, and you know, it's just kind of uh, – I like to call it that, that uh, Omaha and Notre Dame made the first trade in college hockey history. Uh, <laughs> oh, do explain. For, for, do explain. for Pavanka. <laughs> Jordan? Yeah, I just want to know if there's any like uh, cash considerations or player to be named later that were included. Well, well, it's good. I mean, this is this is this is the the era of NIL, so anything is possible. And I know some people were probably uh, disappointed that Seville didn't come back because I think he may have had a year left. But they're gonna love the kid they got in uh, from Slovakia in Lakosi. Watched him during the World Juniors, and he was studly. He yeah, he absolutely looked, studly. He looked fantastic the other night too in the USHL. They uh they upset Chicago in the playoffs too. So I I I, I don't think that there's going to be a drop off there because if you can play in that at that level and he was carrying that team. In that yeah, world without team. a doubt, he was without he a was, doubt. You know, uh, so he is. You know that you 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 can't be a fake in that tournament. Nope. So it'll uh, it'll show up glaringly if you are. So yeah, yeah that's that's good stuff. Um, so, we also talked about the the, the teams and, and Paul. You and I talk about this all the time. We'll talk about it forever. But um, the, the the teams coming in and the fact that they're going to have to find homes uh, because if they don't, I'm really worried about their survival. And I think Jordan echoes my thoughts on that, but. Uh, anything new, Paul, on the on the front um, of anybody forming a new conference, realigning anything? Anything you've heard uh, to this point? Uh, not that I've heard, but I mean, there has to be something. 
in the works here in the next couple of years. And I, I know I don't know if Chris is actually still paying attention, but um, this is you know there has something has to shake down from this um, because you have to make sure that all of these teams can be stabilized. I mean, you know, I, you know, it, you you would think that uh, having a team in St. Louis and Lindenwood would make at least for some kind of travel partner with Huntsville, just like you kind of would do with the Alaska schools. If you go up there, you stay there for the week and play both teams. You could do the same thing. With Lindenwood and Huntsville, um, yeah, like, I, you know, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. Uh, the other thing is like with Augustana coming in, and, and Paul, you and I have talked about this, but Jordan, I don't know if you've heard us uh, yapping about this or anybody else has, but Augustana to me looks like they're already a top-notch program and they're a year away. And I say that by bringing in Garrett Rayboin uh, early to help him get started on the recruiting, and it seems like you know. Their first class, I mean, they flew to get him in a private jet, flew him over there for the press conference, flew him back to Minnesota. Um, just just the little things that they're doing in preparation uh, seems like, and, and I know it's got to do with the dollars, but it just seems like they're ahead of the game already. And uh, that that's something that I wish other teams would do. I wish they'd follow that lead if they're going to make the jump to NCAA hockey. Um, like I said, Chris, I don't, I don't know what you've heard about those things. I mean, we always hear that Air Force is tied in with Army no matter what. But, I mean, if somehow there was going to be a, an actual Western Conference uh, because other teams jumping in forced a realignment of some sort, mm-hmm. uh, would that be out of the question? That's a good question, Paul. I, I'm not really, I'm not really sure. Um, mentioned a, a while back that, you know, Frank Saratori had a huge hand in forming College Hockey America. Right. Um, it, he's to, to me is the type of hockey mind that you would want involved in that. And I, I don't know, Scott, if you could get Frank on on the podcast one of these nights to to talk about this because I think his connections and his insight into the game is, are just unparalleled. And, you know, he would have his pulse on the teams in the North that are coming in. And, um, you know, something that has, has fascinated me is the NCHC's commissioner or former commissioner, Josh Fenton moved, as you know, and um, is now commissioner of the summit league. And, in addition to Denver, I believe North Dakota is in the Summit League, yep. and is Augustana, Omaha, <laughs> Augustana, yeah, so, o- Omaha is too. Omaha, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say Omaha. I thought there was another NCHC school. So, you know, you wonder: is there? Does the Summit League somehow come into play in all of this? Is that the is that the Western entity? Because there's enough other schools regionally that are already in it. And it's not a stretch to put some of these other schools. I mean, 
ASU, you know, for obvious reasons, but, you know, I, I think it's possible, but I, I don't know. I, I agree with what, um, what you guys have said earlier about these teams have to get into conferences in order to be sustainable. And, you know, Paul, look at Long Island. I mean, they're going into, is it year three, year four? Something's uh, got to be. Something's yes. got to break for Long Island, right? Well, see, but if you look at that too. And by the way, it's Dakota, North Dakota, Omaha, St. Thomas, and Denver um, are the four teams, uh, at least hockey teams from from a. Since I assume the Summit League is all its members are in the basketball conference. Um, see, but the LIU is kind of in a in a similar spot. Uh, if you check out the the Northeast Conference. Okay, if you check out the Northeast Conference, I believe that you would see that there are three or four teams in that league that have uh, that have that have teams. Now I have to Google it here, type faster, but um, <laughs> I know that Sacred Heart is in that league. LIU is in that league. Mm-hmm. Um. Merrimack is in that league. Hmm. So, I mean, it's not a, you know, and considering, uh, I think Stonehill is going to be in that league. So once again, that's one, two, that's four teams right there. Yeah, I mean, it's it, there's so, something has to be done. And uh, my number one thing about it, and I know we're running really, really late here, but um, I, I think the problem is going to come in uh, when you're trying to, if, if you have so many independents, how are you going to keep getting top-notch players? Because they all want to win a championship, right? And if you don't have that playoff scenario, I mean, you look at what ASU is up against every year. Paul gives me a bad time about my magic numbers, but – they, they have to win 22 to 24 games a year to even be considered in the pairwise currently. Uh, that's a tall task. I mean, that's a really good season for a lot of teams to win that many games. And then still you might get in as 15 or 16 in the pairwise if you get in. So uh, how long can you keep bringing in top-notch talent if the handwriting's on the wall that you're just going to play four years of NCAA hockey but never get to a tournament? Uh, I mean, I think that, you know, those schools are relying on kids that just want to play. Yeah, well, that's not – yeah, that's – but that's not what people go to college and play college athletics for. Doesn't uh, everybody want to win a championship? That. Yeah, I understand that, but that takes time to build. But my point being is if it takes time to build, do you have the money to stay involved? Do your boosters stay involved with you? Uh, seven, well, eight, nine, ten years down the road if you're never making it to an NCAA tournament? Well, I, I think we have to look at this as an individual case, right? Because um, we know, just because we know, that St. Thomas and Augustana, well, although St. Thomas is in a, in a league, they have the cash. They're, they're, they're not worried about where their money's coming. Um, I, I believe that Stonehill's in that same boat. 
or as we call them, the mystery team, because we have heard nothing. <laughs> and I mean literally nothing other than they're going D1 at the start of this year. Um, so, you know, unless some more of those, uh, the, a, a bunch of the women's teams from that neighborhood, like LIU and, and College of New England and things like that, um, are also, uh, you know, uh, kind of formed, moved up those uh, Division Two schools. And 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 went Division One. Okay. Um, that you could see those kinds of things. Uh, you know, you could see maybe some of those teams decide to jump. Well, I think I think to wrap it up, and and we only got about two minutes left, but. Um, Chris, I think the the <laughs> the overranging point came came to you, and I know it's a tough spot for you. I've heard the same thing. I haven't heard it directly from from Coach Territory, but I did hear it from some other people at Air Force that if there was an opportunity to uh, to move into a Western Conference, which would be more travel friendly, I, mm -hmm. I I got a feeling Air Force might at least entertain it. Your thoughts mm -hmm. on that? I I think they would. Um, and it's probably a function of how challenging academically the academy is. Uh, just if you can save some wear and tear and, you know, maybe eliminate some of these days, I mean, that they're gone, you know, where maybe you're leaving on a Thursday to travel instead of a Wednesday, which most of their Atlantic hockey series, they leave on, they have to leave on Wednesday. Right. Um, there's some appeal to that. I think from a budgetary standpoint, you're, talking about the government so you know they're beholden to some rules that maybe other programs aren't and if push came to shove i would think you know the relationships are there look we're playing army you know every year we're playing no there what. yeah they're playing every I, I mean i think that has to continue and i think that would have to but and it would yeah but you know is it you're going into a conference with Denver and and I don't know that I see Denver wanting to leave the NCHC. Um, I've heard that Western Michigan and Miami wouldn't mind being in more of a regional situation because they are sort of the geographic outliers. Um, but if you had a conference where you have St. Thomas, Augustana, ASU, the Alaska schools, Lindenwood, Huntsville. Does Air Force go for something like that? They might. They, they, they could be competitive in it for sure. Um, you know, I know that they, you know, they, they, they don't draw a lot of kids out of the Northeast. You know, maybe have two or three a year on their roster. So it's not as if, you know, it's a, it's a huge recruiting tool being in Atlantic hockey. You know, they've got the automatic NCAA birth, but if you're in a conference and the conference has an automatic NCAA birth, I don't know what the difference is. I mean, to me, the, the make or break is got to play army every year. You know, can you work that? And, and my guess would be as you absolutely can. Yeah, as, sure. As Paul said. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it could make some sense. I mean, you know, 
I mean, and there is, you're starting to see there, there could be that swath of schools. I mean, Lindenwood and Omaha to me would also seem like geographically, that's a, that's not a horrible trip. No. So yeah, I think, uh, I think the possibilities are out there. It's, uh, it, it's going to be something we're going to be talking about. I know for a long time, <laughs> it's something that you can keep discussing. Uh, the bottom line of it though, is everybody talks about it, but nobody takes action. And that's been the case for, as Jordan and I said earlier, uh, that's been 50 years of college hockey that everybody said we need to do this, but nobody takes the lead and does it. And until you form a, a group of a half a dozen to a dozen you know, people that are influencers and can actually get something done, uh, it's just not going to happen in my estimation because uh, the coaches don't want to do it. They've got enough to do. The administrators uh, have enough to do, and they don't probably value college hockey as high as they value college basketball and football. So uh, mm. where their time gets delegated. So you're going to have to find an independent group and, uh, and get them to get the trust of the coaches and the administrators and uh, try to put a plan together because uh, talking about it is great, but if that's all you're going to do, you're not going to get anywhere. Okay, guys, appreciate the conversation. I know we went a little long, but uh, it's always great to talk hockey. Chris, thanks again for uh, for hanging in there. Paul, thank you for the final thoughts. Jordan, I'll let you take it away, and we'll say goodnight with uh, little Roger Klein, the Peacemakers. Hello, New Day. From the Summer Skate Studios, Analytics and Eyeballs has been brought to you by the NCHC and NCHC.tv. Subscribe to NCHC.tv and catch all the action from the toughest conference in all of college hockey today. By Jurian and Suites, now an official Disney World hotel. Book your stay at our new Lake Buena Vista location opening this October or at any location at DruryHotels.com. By Summer Skates. Whether you want to use your own name and number or you want to represent your favorite player, show off your game and style. Visit SummerSkates.com for more information on how to get personalized shower shoes or koozies today. Metro by T-Mobile. Switch to our $60 a month plan, which includes... I think we lost Jordan. <laughs> Something happened. Anyway, uh, we will uh, we'll leave it at that, and we will say good night for Roger Klein, the Peacemakers. Hello, new day, and uh, another big thank you to Chris Bay for joining us tonight, and Paul Hornstein as always for the final thoughts for Scott Strandy and uh, Jordan McAlpine. We'll say good night.